This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you are here, Father. Now, thank you that, that you are a reason to be excited, Lord. And this morning, Father, I just want to contend for every single person here, Lord, that, that you give them something this morning. Lord, you, I know you are so eager just to hand something over to us, to, for us to receive something from you this morning. So, Lord, I pray that into being. May nothing get in the way this morning of, of, of each and every person here receiving something, not walking out that door without having met you in some certain way, Lord, and not particularly in my words, that are, in the words that I say, Father. I just pray for an impartation of yourself, Lord. I know you have business to do here, and it may not be what's on my heart, Father. You've got what's on your heart, and I pray that that comes into being this morning, in Jesus' name. Okay, cool, now I can preach, it's very exciting in here. A man arrives at a, at a little league baseball game and he walks over to the fence and gets the attention of a young boy in, uh, in the dugout uh, and, he, and he calls to him, hey son, how y'all doing out there? What's the score? And the boy replies, no sir, we're behind, 18 and 0. And he says, oh boy, you guys are behind? You must sure be discouraged. And he says, discouraged? Why would I be discouraged? We ain't even been in the bat yet. In John 16 verse 33, um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I think many of us are finding ourselves in a season where we're experiencing a lot of trials and challenges. Uh, the world is throwing a lot at us. Uh, and I know we, myself and my family have been, have been going through something, which I'm sure a few of you are aware. But it just seems like 2018 has been riddled with every week, every two weeks or so, we, we're just hearing about someone who's in hospital or someone who's died or someone who's going through something. And I think, I don't know what's going on, but there's, there's just a season where, where there's a storm above a lot of our lives. But I think we can, we need, a lot of us will find ourselves in a place where we are behind 18 and 0. But we can be behind 18 and 0 with no way back, which is kind of how the, the spectator saw it. Or we can be behind 18 and 0, still with the opportunity to bat. And that's, that's, that's the power of this, is, is that the choice, the choice is ours. Jesus says that the storms are going to come. In this world, we will have trouble. The choice is ours. Well, how are we going to react to it? What are we going to do? Are we going to just sit there and think there's, there's no way back for us? That victory is, is not possible. We're too far back. This is, the storm is just too, too heavy. There's, nothing, there's no way through this. Or are we going to realize that we have... The guy in the corner who has overcome the world. Remember, the storm comes from the world. Isn't it a good idea to have the guy who overcame the world in your corner? I'm going to be honest. For, um, for me, I've been, I've been kind of spared a lot of adversity in my life. Um, I'm 34 years old, and in that time, I've never, 
experienced any great trauma or, or loss. Um, my parents are, are both still alive, both still together. My grandparents died when I was kind of too young to, to really, for it to impact me. Um, uh, I have a sister, she's fine. Everything is, you know, sort of my family is fine. I think everyone close to me is, is okay. So I've been, I've been spared. I've been kind of riding the high. And I, and I think a lot of us, I hope not all of us are, are, are facing trials at the moment. That would be pretty depressing. Um, but some of us are, I'm sure, on a high, or maybe last year was, 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 your, was your trial year, and, and you're coming out of it. But the truth is, it's, it, it's not going to stop. Jesus says it's not going to, you know, we can expect it. This is something that we can expect. Uh, life is not going to be easy. But I've, you know, I've kind of been, been riding this, this high for, for 34 years, as it were. Um, and for the first time in my life, I'm my family and I have been faced with something uh, that is kind of, I've hit, you know, I've had to hit, a, I've hit a low and I've experienced this, this trial. Of course, you know, there's been sort of small things in my life, but, but nothing that's really been so, so close to home, um, so, so life and death, uh, as it were. So if you don't know what, what I'm talking about, let me, let me fill you in. Um, uh, it was about eight weeks ago that I, I got a call from my wife in, in the late afternoon, and, and she was in tears, and she just told me that um, I needed to go home to, to our daughters so that our maid could go and catch her, her, her taxi um, because she couldn't, she couldn't get there. So this was all like through, of course, tears and, and everything, and uh, just, a, just some advice. If you ever have to phone somebody and give them bad news, just spit it out like from the beginning. The time that, you know, when you, someone on the other end is, is, is kind of crying and you, the voice cracks and you, you hear like a little whimper and, and then immediately your, your head starts spinning and then she says, I must get home to the girls and I'm thinking, what's happened? And eventually, anyway, she, she told me that, um, that she had been for a, a mammogram um, and was now being sent for an ultrasound because they had found something suspicious in her, in her left breast. Um, she had, uh, she had been getting shooting pain sort of from, from her arm um, down, to, down to her breast and uh, had, had found a, a small lamp there. So she went in, had that, uh, had that all scanned, and, that, and what it revealed was a calcification in, in the milk ducts. Um, so following that, we had an appointment with a, with a specialist surgeon here in town, uh, and he, yeah, he basically gave us a little bit, little bit more information. So I'm going to put on my doctor's hat and just, just teach you something this morning. So um, in this diagram, you'll see that's basically a cross-section of a, of a milk duct in the breast. So a normal, a normal duct looks like that on the left. It's aligned with cells, top and bottom. But basically what we were told is that Kim had a, a ductal carcinoma. Um, now you get two kinds. The first is in the middle there. That's ductal carcinoma in situ. Carcinoma being cancer, in situ being in its original place. So the cells have, have divided uh, um, and whatever, and they've, and they've filled that, that thing, but they've remained within, within the duct. So that's kind of like, as far as cancer is, it's a good thing. You know, it's precancerous, known as precancerous, and it's not, it's not invasive. It's not an invasive cancer. Um, so he told us we would have a, a hook wire biopsy, um, so she would have a wire inserted and whatever they would take out and then um, check, out, check out the sample. So she went in for the procedure. Uh, all, all went well. She was, she was out um, that evening. And uh, I think it was like a 
Wednesday or sort of somewhere midweek, and we were expected to get the results only on, on Monday. And anyway, we got a phone call. Kim got a phone call on, on Friday night from the surgeon saying it was, uh, they'd found it to be the worst of the two scenarios. So it was invasive. So basically that means that the cells have, have divided or multiplied to such an extent that they break through the wall of the duct and, and form a tumor. And then from there can, can spread and infect breast tissue or, and, and anything else. So first sort of a little bit of um, bad news, but... Yeah, so at, at 32 years of age, my wife uh, was officially diagnosed with, with breast cancer. Obviously very young, and she has a, um, quite a, a bad, if we can call that, use that word, bad family history. Um, her, her mother had breast cancer, uh, and her two aunts, and then her grands, two sisters had it. Uh, I think we worked out that she was the ninth, she's the ninth woman in her family to have breast cancer. So uh, because of this information, we were sent for a BRCA test. Um, basically, it, it, it looks for mutations in your, in your genetic markers that kind of predispose you to, to getting cancer. So, I mean, anyone can have that test. It will, it will show, basically, if you could get cancer at any point in your life. Uh, it's quite a, quite a terrifying test if you, if you don't have any symptoms of cancer. In fact, it came up for us as an option last year, uh, but we turned it down. We just thought, you know, to kind of have the knowledge and then... You, you could get cancer when you're 95 years of, el- of age, but you could get knocked over by a bus tomorrow. You know? so you would, and they would suggest quite a, quite a drastic procedure of a, of a double mastectomy and everything sort of straight off the bat. So it's quite a hectic test, uh, or the results thereof. Um, so anyway, we obviously now knew that she, she had the cancer. So we did the test, and um, it came back as having uh, been positive in, for a bracket 2, as, as they call it. Um, so we were in the oncologist's office for the first time, and she then gave us the results of this test and also the histology of the, of the sample that they had removed. Uh, the tumor was, was pretty small, 5 mils by 6 mils, which is very small in the world of cancer. Um, it had a 2 out of 4 growth rate, um, so how fast it was, was growing, uh, and out of 80%, it was sitting at 37% in terms of its aggressiveness, how it will attach to, uh, to, to other things. So... A pretty favorable, actually, histology, sort of in the, in the second quadrant. Um, but because of everything, because of the family history, the bracket test and all this stuff, uh, they recommended a bilateral mastectomy. Um, we had already kind of made our minds up that that, that was fine, so it wasn't, wasn't a big issue. But the only massive unknown for us at this point was, had it gone anywhere else? Um, so we, we didn't have to wait very long. As we left that, that appointment, we went into the, the x-ray rooms and came out to drink that horrible chalky stuff that shows everything up. Um, and I actually had to, I had to, it was at the end of the day, I needed to go home and sort girls out and nannies and all sorts of things. And I came back and, and, and walked through and she was walking out of the place with the, with the envelope. Um, and I got a bit of a wink from one of the like nurses there and a thumbs up from her mom and we went back and sat down and received news that absolutely everything was all clear in her body. There was only, only the cancer in the, in the breast. So anyway, we, we're still now kind of only at the beginning of this journey and uh, we were scheduled, Kim was, sorry, I always say we, it's kind of like uh, nothing happened to me, but I just say we all the time, so excuse me if I don't say Kim. So uh, she went in for uh, for the surgery. It was I think it happened on a on a, on a Monday or, or Tuesday, perhaps. 
but she had to be there at 8 o'clock. Again, I had to drop kids off at school and stuff. So she went alone, and then I met her. And I just asked her to make sure of one thing, and that was how long will the surgery be? Just so I could go to work and do a little bit of something and, and then come back. Uh, anyway, she only ended up going in at, at 11 o'clock. But the surgeon told her that uh, it was an hour and a half surgery. So I thought, fine, that's cool. I can, I can work with that. So she went in 11, I left her, she went into the surgery, I went back to work, um, and I, I got back sort of closer to one, I thought I could just give her some time, she'd still be groggy and everything, walked up to the, to the ward in the room and she wasn't there yet, so I went, walked and walked all the way through the hospital down to the other end where the surgery is, there's no real waiting room there, so I kind of just stood around, nothing was happening, went back, looked again, thought maybe she went the other way around, came back. Eventually, after a bit of this, I found a waiting room that I knew was on the like, route from the surgery to the thing. And I waited there, got off my laptop, did a bit of work. And people would come past on the beds, and I'd keep checking if it was her. Uh, and it was never her. Uh, and I was getting a little bit worried, sitting there. Started to pace. Every like 45 minutes, I would go back to the room in case I missed her going around another way. Um, and eventually, at, it was just before 3 o'clock. So in my eyes, four hours after the surgery had started, um, I was, I'd just been pacing a bit, and I was staring out at one of the hospital windows at not much, and uh, then that, like, Grey's Anatomy moment happened, where I looked down the passage, and here came the doctor walking up the thing. You know, he wasn't, like, taking off his mask and, like, dripping blood and stuff, so that was good. But, um, you know, you're just preparing for the Mr. Gono. We did all we could. Um, but thankfully it never came. He said, no, look, everything went really well. Um, it turns out she only went under at about half past 11, and then you know, he, he came out. I think they were done at about half past 2. So it actually it wasn't, it wasn't that much longer than they expected. She said there was a bit, he said there was a bit extra bleeding, um, but everything's fine, and she's coming into recovery. So that was just a, <laughs> a moment for me. You'd never really want to be in that, that movie moment when the doctor comes down the, down the passage. Anyway, the recovery went well. She was expected to be in hospital five, for five to seven days and was out in four. So that was really great. Um, then they, they took everything, the breast tissue, and um, they take nodes out from under the arm, um, some of the lymph nodes. Checked it all out. They like, sliced it all up. They're really thorough in, in what they do. They found that um, we were then in the in oncologist's office receiving the new histology, histology as such of the, of the nodes and everything. Uh, they found that they had removed the whole tumor the first time around, so that was all gone. There was nothing else in, in the breast tissue. You know, there was a lot of this calcification in the ducts, but there was only one actual tumor present where it had where it sort of gone invasive. Um, but then of the, of the lymph nodes that they took out of her arm, there were they took 30 out, of which 21 had been affected by cancer. And they had not only been filled by the cancer, but the kind of lining around them had been filled too. Now, usually there's a very direct correlation between size of tumor and number of nodes affected. Large tumor, lots of nodes, small tumor, fewer nodes. So the fact that there were so many affected was, was reason for concern. Um, it, it meant that the cancer was actually moving much quicker than they anticipated. Um, so we were sent for an emergency PET scan in, um, in Cape Town. Uh, from my kind of understanding... A CT scan will pick up if there is a tumor present. Um, if there's any doctors in the house, you can just shout at me any corrections here. Um, but, and what a PET scan will do is actually 
pick up at cellular level if there's suspicious activity like division of cells happening somewhere. So sort of before cancer is actually, or a tumor is actually present. So this PET scan would have been, would just be really good for us to know what's going on in total. So we, we went, um, went ahead, did it all, and got back. Uh, we kind of left it, left it there, got back, had another appointment, and we were told that the PET scan had come back 100% clear. Not, uh, not even, there wasn't in between the time of the surgery and, and the PET scan a week later, no other nodes had been affected. There were no free radicals anywhere in the body. All organs, bones, brain, everything were 100% clear. We had got the cancer um, straight away out of, out of the breast and we had stopped it there. So that was obviously a massive, massive relief. Um, weight off our shoulders. So long story short, we've been going through a storm. In summary, we've been going through a storm. Um, so, but God has been, God has been so present, um, so faithful in it. And I want to just, uh, just share three quick things um, throughout, throughout the process. There's it it been a lot, like people have just given us so, um, so many words, prayed so many words over Kim, so much positivity. We're getting so much support. And if I can maybe just take a minute to thank everybody um, who's been praying uh, and who's been sending us messages, who's been sending us meals. We've had meals coming since like the whole of March up into, up into now. It's crazy. We, we hardly had to do any cooking. It's really good. All the moms from Ava's school have been preparing meals for her in the morning. Uh, and there's been moms here in the church who have been fetching and carrying. Uh, so I just want to thank you all really um, for, for whatever part you're playing in, um, in just supporting us through this. Uh, but one of the things, when the PET scan came up, we were sort of keeping people updated all the time as to what was going on. So we, we, we sent out the word that we had, to, we had to go to Cape Town for a PET scan. And I think it was that evening or maybe the next evening, less than 24 hours after people knew, I received a message from one of Kim's colleagues to say that they would like to pay for her plane ticket to get to Cape Town. So sure, uh, I, had, I must admit I've been pretty strong emotionally. I'm quite a, I'm, I'm quite a crier. I'm, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll admit that pretty easily. But um, I... When I received that message, that was like one of the moments I just cried, and I came and said, what's wrong? I said, no. <laughs> I said, no, someone's offered to pay, and you know, it just blew me away uh, that, that someone would, would, would move like that. And anyway, we, we said, that'll be great. I wanted to go with Kim, so it would be nice. We would still sort of be paying for a plane ticket, and one would be covered, um, which was fantastic. So we said we'd sort out details and, and whatever when we knew. We were still waiting for an actual appointment from Cape Town when we knew we were going. So... We left that there, and the very next morning, I got a, a message from Stephen Montgomery, um, and he said, no, can you have my banking details? The elders have got together, and they want to they contribute to our plane ticket. So I was like, shoot, okay, that's amazing. Uh, you know, one's covered, that'll cover me, then we, and we can go. Um, that'll be fantastic. That afternoon, I received an amount in my bank account from the elders of this church that covered both Kim and myself's return tickets there in Cape Town with spare change. So I was able to, to contact the lady and kind of say thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> Luckily, she took that well. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we were covered, and even we had some baggage issues, and a kind of spare change covered all that. So we, we really had no financial burdens whatsoever. And even when we were in Cape Town, um, we stayed with Kim's brother, and he said to us that uh, her uncle wanted to pay for our flight too. So you know, God really made sure that, the, that we didn't have to pay anything for that. 
the other thing is that, uh, of course, you worry about your kids um, in, in these sort of things. So you've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, so our two-year-old's not, obviously not so aware, um, but our four-year-old is, is aware of what's going on. So we've been speaking to her in the evenings just about what's happening. And, of course, there's going to be physical changes with mom or has been. Um, and uh, then with the, with the chemo that's that's going going ahead, um, you know she, there could be hair loss and, and things like that. So we just we're preparing her for that kind of thing, and she asks questions every now and again. Um, but she understands it in in her own way. Um, but she's taking it really well. But I, uh, you know, you're still kind of fearful, like oh, how's this going to affect the child and whatever. But it was the morning, either the morning of or the evening before the chemo, and um, I was in the room, and, and Kim was down the passage speaking to Ava, um, and she was telling her that, you know, mom might lose her hair, and she's going to be a little bit sick and, and, and weak kind of thing. Um, and then she asked her, uh, when will your hair grow back? You know? So she, um, Kim said to her, no, it'll be like this length again, maybe. So she's four now. She said, maybe like when you're six years old, you know, everything will be back to normal. And there was like a pause, and I listened from down the passage. And then she said, Ava's going to be six. Ava's going to be six. <laughs> so it was just such a, such a confirmation for me that, um, you know, it's going to be fine, and, and God has this, and we don't need to worry about, don't need to worry about the kids. So that was, yeah, that was just a cool little story. But yes, here's the main thing. Um, the whole time during this thing, um, obviously the devil throws a lot of stuff at you, questions like, you know, you're going to be a single dad now, um, you're going to have to raise the kids alone, your kids are not going to grow up with, with a mother. Of course, all this, all this stuff comes to you, um, the, the worst of the worst, you know, the devil really tries to throw, throw something at you like this in, in a situation, but I can honestly say that I, I've never once felt... And actually, they were sort of fleeting thoughts. You know, they would come and I'd be able to bounce them off um, because I know that I've never imagined a situation in my life that doesn't involve Kim in, in, in our old age. You know, if we're doing whatever in our old age, she's there. Um, and God just kind of reminded me of that, that, that there's no scenario in my life where, where she's not there. Um, and that was such an encouragement for me. But we... Uh, Things obviously change in our house. We, we've reprioritized stuff. I mean, something like this, if, if nothing changes in your life, uh, you're, you need to, I don't know, something needs to happen. Um, but we made some changes and, and reprioritized things, and uh, we started, we drew closer to God, both of us um, as individuals and uh, also just as a unit. Uh, and things just, things that were important are not important anymore, you know, and it's relationships and it's, and it's love and it's family and those are the kind of things that, that come to the fore. But we also started just to, uh, we, we always had a bit of worship music on every now and again, but now we've got like some worship or praise music going morning or night on our phones or, or whatever. There's, there's always some kind of song in the house at some point. And um, I was listening, I was on, on YouTube and I was looking for, um, I came across this song called Surrounded. Uh, you know, it, it says this is how we fight our battles, and I've heard it, and it's really cool musically, so I, I kind of, I, I like the song, but I never paid much attention to it. But I heard it again um, one of the nights, and I was like, oh, this, is, this is really cool, this is a strong song, you know, I want to I wanna have this, I want to keep, keep this on rotation. And um, I, I tried to find it, the, the version I saw was by a Bethel-linked guy, I can't remember his name, so I looked for him, we've got a Google Play account, so we have a playlist on there, 
of worship music. So I wanted to add it to, to that. And I couldn't find that, but I did find a, a, a Michael W. Smith version, which I believe is the, is the original. So I put it on, and I think I played it, but I didn't, again, didn't play too much notice. But I think it was the next day or a couple of days later, the song played again from the start. And I heard that he mentioned, in the beginning he speaks, he says a verse from Isaiah 61, verse 3. And he says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And like I said, for 34 years, I've never really had a spirit of severe heaviness over me. So this, this scripture has been kind of lost on me. But all of a sudden, I realized that in praising God, what we had done was we had put this, this garment of praise on, almost inadvertently, but without really trying. We had put the garment of praise on, and the spirit of heaviness never, ever fully rested on me. There were times when it, it would kind of come closer to me, you know. Um, but just by having praise, and not necessarily praise as in singing, but, but having praise for God and not turning our back on God, allowed for us to, to put on this garment of praise. So this is my encouragement for this morning. I'm going to encourage us, challenge us, and then just we're going to do a systems check. So this is my encouragement. If you're going through something, I want you to put on the garment of praise. Put it on and let it come out of your mouth. Let praise come out of your mouth. Let praise overflow from your heart. I know it's hard. I know it's a tough thing to do when, when the storm is, is on us, when the storm is moving in. But the garment of praise is like a rain jacket. It'll stop anything. It's not going to take, it's like a rain jacket. It's not like a magic carpet. It's not going to take you out of the storm and, and fly you off with Jasmine and Aladdin. It's going to keep you in the storm, but it's going to help you to weather it. You see, we're in, we're in a spiritual war, and we're part of doing a, a spirit war series. I'm taking a bit of a sidebar on it, but uh, I couldn't resist the, the Star Wars themes to, to, to go for the Stormtrooper um, Stormtrooper sermon title. And that's what we're called to be. We're called to be stormtroopers. To fight, not to flee, but to stand in the storm and to fight within it and to learn from it. And that's my, um, that's my challenge for us. Instead of fighting to get out of the storm, let's, let's see what, let's ask God what we can learn from within it. But throughout the time as well, I had this, I had this word that, that came early on um, from God that said, the presence of a storm presents the opportunity for rain. Now, of course, we know in the natural, when it rains, there's clouds, unless it's a monkey's wedding. Without, without storms, without a, without a buildup of clouds, there's, there's no opportunity for rain. There's no opportunity for blessing. There's no opportunity for cleansing. Not that there's no opportunity, but, but the presence of a storm means that there's rain coming. There's something that God wants to teach you within the storm that you're in. And that's a, that's a challenging thing, even for me, you know, to say, well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? What am I supposed to learn from this? But God has something in the storm and in each of our storms that we face for us to learn. In Isaiah 45, verse 3, it says, And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. In the darkness, there is treasures for each of us. Regardless of, of, of who brings the storm to us, 
God has hidden something within it. God has hidden something for each of us to take out of it. Martin Luther King Jr. says this, Only in the darkness can you see the stars. I love that. It's only in the darkness that you can really see the beauty of the stars. My challenge is for us to embrace the storm, embrace the darkness, embrace what's around us and, and find those treasures. Find the nuggets of, of gold that God has placed in it. It's not nice at all what we're going through, but there's something that God wants to teach us. And for me, there was a little something about hope um, that, that's, that's come to heart. G.K. Chesterton, a man says this, Hope means hoping when things are hopeless, or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to become a strength. So in this situation, a hopeless situation, and I'm sure many of you are facing situations that you feel are absolutely hopeless, that's when hope is going to become a strength. If we're hoping when there's hope, then it's not really hope at all. You know, I hoped I would pass my trick, but I never failed a year before, so it's not really hope. You know, I hope she would say yes when I popped the question, but who wouldn't? <laughs> kidding, kidding. You know, I hope my mom remembered Melrose, but that's not real hope. You know, those aren't hopeless situations. Hope is really, it becomes a strength when we're surrounded by, by the darkness. So my encouragement to you, apply the universal principle of putting on the garment of praise. This is how we fight our battles. With praise on our lips. And it may look like we're surrounded, but we're surrounded by God. For every situation, it may look like we're surrounded but change your point of view. Get outside and look in. You won't actually be able to see yourself because you're covered by giant angels. God has surrounded us for every situation that we feel surrounded in. And my challenge is find what God is teaching you in the storm that you're in. Don't pray your way out of it. Find out what you can get in it. And then finally, I want us to do a, a systems check. How is, our, how is our inner environment? Is it affected by our outer environments? What determines your, your inner environment? Is it what's currently outside of you? So if, if things are going well, then it's well within you. And if things aren't going well, then you're a mess. I want us to check our, our inner environments because I know that not all of us are in, in a place where I am or, or, or others are. Um, you're riding a high, as I say. But what happens when the clouds begin to build up on the horizon and the storm moves in? What's happening inside of us? I have to ask myself, what if things were worse? What if the cancer had gone systemic? What if it was found in, in other organs? What if the PET scan revealed there was movement, there was, there was suspicious activities coming? What if this didn't happen to my wife? What if it happened to my kids? At two years and four years old, what if something happened to them? 
would I still be up here preaching the same word I am? Would I still be saying, let's, let's find what we can in the storm? Would I be saying, let's, let's stay here? Let's not pray our way out of it. I'd like to think I will, but I, I'm not entirely sure. What if things are so much worse? Imagine your worst possible scenario. And where, what's happening inside of you? Where is God in all of this? I want to leave us with, uh, with just this one, one story about a man named Horatio G. Spafford. He was a successful lawyer and businessman from the Chicago area and a devoted Christian. However, he and his family were no strangers to trials and tragedy. The first was the death of his son at the age of two and the great Chicago fire in 1871, which ruined him financially. His business interests were further hit by the economic downturn of 1873, at which time he had planned to travel to Europe with his family on the SS Villa du Havre. In a late change of plan, he sent his family ahead while he was delayed on business. While crossing the Atlantic, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with a sea vessel, the Loch Urn, and all four of Spafford's daughters died. His wife Anna survived and sent him the now famous telegram, Saved alone, what shall I do? Shortly afterwards, Spafford boarded a ship to meet his grieving wife. During the Atlantic crossing, the captain called Spafford into his cabin to tell him that they were passing over the spot where his four daughters had drowned. Spafford later wrote to Rachel, his wife's half-sister, saying, On Thursday last, we passed over the spot where she went down. In mid-ocean, the water's three miles deep. But I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, folded, the dear lambs. During the same voyage, Spafford composed the beloved hymn with lyrics that read like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We are promised trials and challenges in this life. But we need to make a choice, I believe, before any of that happens, or even if you're in it right now, we need to make that choice to say, it is well with my soul. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.